You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. You know, we're in this series uh, in Advent called Scent. We're talking about the setting and purpose of Jesus being sent into the world. And and, and that's, of course, what we commemorate in the Advent season, the arrival of Jesus in the world. And in the first week, we talked about how Jesus was sent into suffering. You know, that he went from perfection into a world of pain to go through the ministry that he went through. It wasn't a good week to have the kids sing. So we didn't do that. We waited for this week. On the other side of Jesus speaking the truth, is what we talked about last week, came, he was sent to speak the truth. The truth that would set us free from sin. But into what? What was he setting us free from sin into? I think that's a question a lot of people have of Christians who aren't Christians. They look at Christians and they say, oh, you know, it's all these rules, all these regulations. You can't do this, you can't do that. There's all these things that you're kept from because you don't sin. What are we freed into? What was Jesus freeing us into? He was freeing us into wholeness. Wholeness. He was sent to bear wholeness. And when I talk about wholeness, I mean completeness. I mean full satisfaction. I'm on a mission to bring wholeness to my Christmas lights display. I talked about it last week when I talked about the 75 foot high towers of the oil lamps that gave light across all of Jerusalem. I am attempting to build that in my Christmas light display. Over time, I don't want to be too ambitious, all right? But it's really my protest against the darkness. There's a lot of homes that are not lit up, a lot of darkness in my neighborhood, and I just think, well, fine, I'll light your house up with my lights. <laughs> That's going to be a Griswold, you know, family Christmas for me. I want to be the guy who plugs it all in and he shuts off all the lights in the whole neighborhood. <laughs> LEDs will probably keep that from happening, but, you know, the first year I just did the roof line and got accustomed to that, being up on the second story and all that, not, not my favorite. Um, and then this year I said, you know what, I'm going to take it a step further, I'm going to double my light show, because I'm going to double it again next year. This year I'm going to trim out the windows, I'm going to trim out the doors, you know, and I'm going to make it look real professional. I'm not going to make it so you can see the lights, you know, connected from thing to thing to thing. I'm going to make it just like framing those individual things. So I looked online uh, because I only had one length that they would sell it, you know, because I went in December, so there's nothing left. And I had these 30 foot lengths. And, and online it says, oh, you can't shorten these things. And I said, well, watch me. I'll shorten these things. It's simple. You know, you just follow the wires and splice it in. I can do this. So I cut everything down, sized it perfectly, plugged it all in, and it was glorious. For a few moments, it was glorious. <laughs> All those short lights, strands, they short it out. Because, yes, it's the same amount of current flowing through the wires before. It's just a shorter length, so that's going to blow the fuses, and that's exactly what happened. So I had to re-lengthen them until, yeah, I just bundled up the extra length, and, and then I turned it on, and it looks, it looks pretty good. I've got some neighbors here. It looks pretty good. I'm on my way, right? Next year when I double it again, it's going to get ridiculous because there's nothing to hang the lights on. They just get thrown on things. But... When I'm talking about wholeness, I am talking about something that relates to that story because it's not just about fixing the things that are wrong as you go along. Oh, you know, they went out. I can't just leave it. I've got to relay. I've got to fix it. Okay, I've got to fix the issues with it. But it's also about an abundance of right. That's what wholeness is all about. It's saying, okay, yeah, I did the roof line. Great. But there's all these other gaps. There's so much more room for so much more lights. 
And I'm going to fill them all in. It's about an abundance of right until there's completeness, until there's satisfaction, until there's wholeness in the picture. All right? And that's what Jesus was sent to bring into this world, wholeness. Not just freedom from sin, but freedom into this state of completeness. And we're going to see a, a couple pictures of that here from Isaiah 61. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass them to you. We're only reading a few verses, but there's quite a few pictures of wholeness conveyed in just these few verses. Isaiah 61. Again, here is a prophecy regarding Jesus' ministry, what he was going to be sent into the world to do. And it's spoken from the first person. It's something that Jesus actually did speak in the first person early on in the Gospels. We'll get there in a few moments, but let's read together Isaiah 61. The verses will also be on the screens. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Let's pause there this morning. In this passage, as I said, here's these statements referring to both the practical and spiritual work that Jesus was sent to bring in this world, as well as a reference to those who would come after him, which we'll also get to in a little bit. And we know that the work here that I've just described from Isaiah 61 is toward the mission of Jesus, because as I said, early on in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, he goes to the synagogue in his hometown, he reads from the scroll, he reads from Isaiah 61, the only part he leaves out is the part about judgment because that wasn't his purpose in coming initially in the first arrival. That's when he returns again. So he left out that portion on purpose. But he read everything else. And then he sat down and said, this is fulfilled at your hearing. And that day the mic drop was born. The mic drop was born. I mean, that was it right there. He read from the scroll these great statements about bearing wholeness in this world. And then he says, I'm it. I'm the one. And he sat down amidst a stunned audience. Wholeness is what Jesus was sent to bring. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, he says, was upon him. And he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The very spirit of God was upon him to accomplish this sort of work. Now that mission has so many different dimensions to it reference in just a few verses, let's do a little tour of wholeness, a la Isaiah 61. First thing we see here is this good news for the poor, or the meek, or the afflicted, that Jesus was sent bearing a message of cheer for those who were economically or socially disadvantaged. Now, when we begin to talk about the poor in society... That's a topic that has been politicized in America, just like every single topic you could possibly talk about. 
but we're going to just set aside all the wackadoodle thinking that exists out there, and we're going to just focus on the fact that realistically, in the ancient world, there was a lot of people. We're talking a lot of people who did not have any upward economic mobility, meaning they were in a class economically, and they could not rise above that class. Very, very difficult to rise above where they were from an economic perspective. And that is still true to this day for lots and lots of people all over the world. I mean, we're talking there are hordes of people who every day are going to work, physically speaking, 10 times harder than you and I, every day without a break, and they're not going to get a a raise. They're not going to get a 401k at the end of their life. They're not going to get a pension. They're not going to get anything but a broken body by age 45. That's what they get. And this was a message that Jesus was bearing of wholeness, good news, of cheer for folks just like that. It didn't matter if you were the poorest of the poor, if you were the victim of illness or circumstance. You could become rich in the kingdom of God forevermore. In fact, you could put the rich to shame, the rich in this world, because of what God was bringing in his eternal kingdom. That mission has so many more dimensions beyond that. If we move on, we can consider those who are brokenhearted in this passage. Also, those who are captives and prisoners, they could be considered just as much the poor and the meek as those who are economically disadvantaged. The brokenhearted, if we want to speak to them, the word picture here is of somebody who is shattered in their inner being. Someone who's in pieces. The way we would talk about it today is more clinical. We might call them the mentally ill. Jesus was sent to bind them up, to put together all those broken pieces in the inner person, to make them whole again. When we talk about captives and prisoners, there's a couple different layers to this. You don't think that the Jews at that time were considering sort of the prison industrial complex that exists in America, 2.2 million people in prison. That's a different subject, but there's application for it. We'll get there. But in the Jewish mind, they'd be thinking of, you know, military defeat, how these other nations would kind of just sweep through the land of Israel. They'd come through, they'd take everybody, men, women, and children. They'd exile them into a foreign land. They'd take all their possessions, and they'd have no hope of ever returning. That's the sort of folks that this prophecy is speaking to, being prisoners and captives. People who were bond servants. People who couldn't pay their debts for some reason in their life, so they had to sell their own freedom. They had to become slaves just so they could eat. That's the sort of people that are receiving this message. The meek, right? The afflicted. Good news for them. It also deals with those who are imprisoned in physical maladies. A lot of times in the book of Isaiah, when there's this statement of this hope of the release for the captives, the prisoners, there's also this statement of opening the eyes of the blind. You're opening the jail cells, but a Messiah is going to come who's going to open the eyes of the blind, a la Isaiah 42, verse 7. And of course, this metaphor of captivity extends also to every single one of us who has found ourselves in captivity to our own sin and in spiritual poverty. So Jesus was sent to open the eyes of the blind. He was sent to open the jail cells of those who were facing captivity and imprisonment. And of course, he was coming to set loose the freedom, the liberty, to let it flow like a river. That's the picture of liberty, a flowing river for all of us 
in a spiritual sense. And finally, he was going to bring comfort for the mourners. That's verses 2 and 3, to console those who are grieving the dead. We'd see Jesus do this in his earthly ministry with the widow in Nain when he raised her son to life. That's in Luke chapter 7. Or Jairus when his daughter was raised by Jesus in Matthew 9. Or to Martha and Mary in John chapter 11 when Jesus raised their brother. They were in a place of grief and a place of loss for those who had died. And that was all just a taste of what Jesus is going to do forevermore. What greater comfort is there than the comfort that Jesus brought with the idea, the knowledge, the hope that those that we've loved and lost will be resurrected again forevermore. That my loved ones and your loved ones in Christ, we will see again. The same way that Martha and Mary saw their brother again right in front of them. It's wholeness that Jesus was sent to bring. See, there's a great reversal in the wake of Jesus everywhere that he would go. It's referenced in verse 3. He's going to exchange a crown of beauty for the one of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A world that goes from life, birth, to death is going to reverse course and go from death to life because of Jesus. People who are on this descent to the end of their life in sin, we're going to be put on an ascent to God's kingdom and on into eternity. Friends, that's us. We're the ones being referred to there. Those who have placed our faith in Jesus, we've received the promise of wholeness. We're the ones who get the crowns. We're the ones who get the oil of joy. We're the ones who have access to the garment of praise. Have you received it? Some of you would say, I don't have it. I don't have the oil of joy. I don't have the garment of praise. You know, I understand that. Maybe you are in a place of despair. Maybe you are in a place of grief. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're the brokenhearted. You're the person who feels shattered internally. You feel meek. You feel afflicted. But that doesn't mean you don't have the oil of joy. That doesn't mean you don't have access to the garment of praise. Because sometimes in my life, I don't know what I have when I have it. You know what I mean? Like, I have certain things, but I don't know I have them. You know, it, 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 the access is there, but I haven't tapped into it. And my kids are like this all the time. They have a lot, and they don't know what they have when they have it. We were going to surprise them a couple weeks ago with a trip to Legoland. And uh, on the way to Legoland, on the surprise, it was all complaints. All complaints. All despair. Why are we leaving? Why are we getting at this? Where are we going? How long is it going to take? Why are we stopping for coffee? Why are we getting breakfast? What's the deal here? The whole way. The whole way completely. We're surprising them with Legoland. As a parent, you have that instinct. You just ruin it. Just, you're going to Legoland. It's horrible. You want to do that, but, you know, we just kept it to ourselves. We didn't say anything. We wanted to sit on it. And... And the whole way, nah, this, nah, this, ah, complaint this, complaint that, despair this. And then we show up, and it's all evaporated in an instant. It's gone in an instant. They walk through the gate. They have the joy that you've never seen before. I mean, they can't remember anything about the ride and what it took to get there. They're just on top of the world. It's all evaporated. It's all forgotten. And in fact, it's even before that. It's when they just see the signs. And they start adding it up. 
right? Oh, there's this, we're going to Legoland, and that's when it evaporated. We weren't even there yet. They just saw the signs, and they anticipated the arrival. And you see where I'm going with this? That there's all sorts of reason that we have in this life to despair and to be brokenhearted and to be filled with grief. But we are headed, we're on a road, it's a one-way destination in Christ to wholeness, to completeness, to satisfaction, to healing on into eternity. And we're not there yet, but we can see the signs, we can anticipate our arrival, we can pull it forward into our experience today. That's what I'm inviting you into. It's not going to invalidate any of your feelings today, but look where we're headed Know that there is a day that's coming that wholeness will be yours. You will be complete. Your grief will turn to joy. That despair will leave you. You see what Jesus is doing? He was sent bearing wholeness. He said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We talked about that last week. The father of lies. Leading the whole world to just live self-interested, to try to indulge themselves in sin, out of the you know, plan of God, don't, not living for the glory of God. They just, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll keep lying to you. He'll teach you how to lie. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's not just like I'm going to give you a little bit of life. I'm going to give you the fullness of life. I'm going to give you all of what's right. You're going to be complete. You are going to be whole as a group of people. And those who receive that life through faith in Jesus. Verse 3, are the fulfillment of what's talked about here in Isaiah 61. They are to be this planting for the Lord, these oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor. I live in Huntington Beach. I'm very partial to palm trees. I love the look of a palm tree. Just, you know, relaxing, just thinking about, right? But I love oak trees. I love oak trees. I'm a bit of a plant nerd. I am. I really enjoy this part of my job that I can think about plants for a little bit and research them and it has some use in a sermon because I, oak trees, man. You go through an oak grove, you can just look at these things. Wow. You know, they're a symbol of strength. They're a symbol of strength because they're naturally resistant to decay. They're resilient, right? They have a, a, a very high hardness level in terms of the wood that they are. So they were used in ancient construction a lot of the time. And it's no surprise because of all the properties encased in this tree. And they're amazing. I mean, they started their life as like one little acorn and they can produce up to 10 million acorns over their lifespan. They can live a thousand years, be as tall as 10 stories high, 150 feet, and they can be just as wide at the same time. And so what is God saying? He's saying of all these oppressed and afflicted and meek people, the brokenhearted, those who are despairing and those who are grieving and mourning. I'm going to take all these people and I'm going to transform them in such a way that they then become the symbol of strength. And they become the ones who are resistant to all decay. They're being replanted as oaks of righteousness, people who live rightly by God and rightly by other people in this world. 
And they're like the proof. They're like the example. They're the display of God's splendor. It's like when you encounter these people that God has transformed, it's like going on a magical walk through a forest that illuminates the glory of God. When you take that word splendor, there's a bit of wordplay that's going on here. That means to glorify. It means to embellish. In the ancient world, the original meaning was to go over the boughs of a plant, to really inspect it in detail. That's effectively what should happen through our lives, through what Jesus has done, that when people encounter us, these oaks of righteousness, they go over the boughs. They inspect in detail what is our life all about, and out of that is reflections of the glory of God. It leads them to praise. When they go over the boughs, when they really inspect the details of our lives, we're to be reflecting God's greatness and his glory. Is that what would happen if someone went over the details of your life? Is that what would happen if they went over the details of my life? So forget, you know, these deconstructionists. Because God has called us to be constructionists. We're called to be, in verse 4, as oaks of righteousness, those who, it says, rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. We're said out of that wholeness that Jesus is bringing through us, we're going to renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. In these oaks of righteousness, in you and I, in the work that Jesus is doing in us, is going to exist this restorative spirit this constructive spirit to take things that have been neglected, to take things that have fallen apart, the things that have fell into ruin, that have been sitting there for generations and not tended to, and we're going to do something about it. Maybe there's been generation after generation of spectators that have looked at those broken things and was no longer because of what God has done in us. You know, I find that I have this quality about me. I have a bit of a restorative spirit. I get myself into all sorts of projects that I can't ever get out of. Because I look at broken things, I'm, I'm drawn to broken things to see them renewed. And whether that's, you know, old homes or, uh, you know, old boats or cars or RVs or I, I, I drive by a fence that looks shoddy and I think, well, you know, I could do this with that. That's not my fence. I, I can't do anything with it, right? But my mind goes there and record player, all kinds of junk over my life that I've started up to restore the, I don't always finish, I try. But I have this restorative spirit and, and I have it for people too. I look at people, I see, you know, the state that they're in, I see what could be with them, and I want so much for that vision to come to reality. Sometimes I want it for people more than they want it for themselves. You know, I certainly have that vision for the church, for God's people, what it's become. I see where it is, but I see what could be. Isn't that what God has done in me? Isn't that what God has done in you? That he's renewed and restored and he's repaired the ruins in each of us. That he's made me, someone who is poor in spirit, he's made me rich. That he's taken someone who's had this shattered inner life and he's put the pieces back together. That he's let my spirit flow in liberty. Just like that rushing river, I felt spiritual freedom. So again, forget the deconstructionists. Forget the people who only want to tear things down. You know, for those who don't know what a deconstructionist is, it's a word that we use for a lot of people, particularly in my generation, who question and question and question, and then they question the questions, and then there's no more questions to question. 
They tear down everything, the good as well as the bad, all at one time. And, and friends, if that's you, you can play with the rubble of society. Go ahead, play with it. Toss around some of the bricks of the ruined city back and forth endlessly your whole life. I'm a constructionist. God's called me to be a reconstructionist, a renewalist. I'm also real. I don't look at the world and say, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. I look at the world, I look at the church today, and I say, wow, we're living in the ruined city. But I believe it can be restored. But I believe it can be restored. When you think about the great reversal that Jesus brought, the wholeness that came through him to everything he interacted with and touched, how can you not, when you're filled with the same spirit as Jesus, want the same things to happen today for everybody and everything that you interact with? How can you not want those same things when you know what Jesus has brought? How can you not want thieves to be with Jesus in paradise? How can you not want that? The thief on the cross right next to Jesus being crucified. He didn't even have any time to make amends or do anything different. Jesus said, oh, you believe in me? We can work with that. Today you'll be with me in paradise. We should be celebrating that, that restorative spirit, that wholeness that Jesus was bringing everywhere he went. You know, we got 2.2 million criminals in the system, and the political parties, all they can come up with, this is the only things I hear, release them, just release them, or let them rot. Like, those are the only two options. I don't hear anyone talking about rehabilitation. I mean, shouldn't everybody just be brought together around this topic of restoring people, restoration? Who doesn't want to see criminals transformed in Jesus? Man, it's contagious. When you've experienced the wholeness of Jesus, you want to see that for other people. It's something that should be automatic as we go through our lives. Doesn't it just make you excited when we think about, you know, those Kenyan orphans, the 300 orphans, who because of the generosity of brothers and sisters, okay, we're going to take a broken down building that's ruined. These kids are being raised in Christ. We're going to make sure they have a roof over their head that when it rains, it doesn't leak rusty water into their cooking pots anymore. And we, we were able to give enough that we're going to rebuild the buildings that have fallen apart. Isn't that contagious? Isn't that just like, yes, that's it. That's the restorative spirit. That's what Jesus has done. I want to see everything restored. What about the one in six people that struggle with mental illness in America? One in six. One in six. That's the one saying, I'm struggling with mental illness. How can you not want, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, how can you not want all those people to be clothed in a garment of praise, to experience healing and wholeness? That's what Christmas is. That's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus was sent to bring, wholeness. And people are like, when I talk this way, they're like, what, are you some progressive, left-wing, social justice soy boy? Is that what you are? I'm not kidding. I got that one for the first time this last year. Soy boy. I had to look it up. I didn't know what that was. Apparently, if you eat a lot of soy, there's a rumor that it lowers your testosterone. So, good one. I hope that one really travels around. I'm a red-blooded, spirit-filled Christian. That's why I want these things. And that's about as hoorah as I get, P.S. How can you not want those things? 
How can you not want those things when you've experienced the transformation of Jesus? I don't want to build a perfect world for any ulterior motive. I know that Jesus is the only one who's going to build a perfect world when he returns. But I want the same holiness, righteousness, mercy, grace, healing that marked and characterized Jesus everywhere he went to characterize me. I want to be planted by Jesus as an oak of righteousness. I want to live rightly by God. I want to live rightly by my brothers and sisters as well as my neighbors. I want everything I touch to be better for having me involved in it. And I'm not there yet. But I am being stirred by the Holy Spirit to get there, to live into that image, which is the image of Christ. Is the Spirit stirring you for the same things? Is the Spirit stirring you for those same things? I really believe there's very important applications that come out of this, two very important applications. For one, I want to speak to those who are who are despairing, for those who are poor in spirit, for those who feel like their inner life is shattered, it's in shambles, it's in pieces. I want to speak to the mourners. I want to speak to the people who are grieving. And I want to invite you to anticipate the wholeness that's coming. It isn't here yet in its fullness, but it is coming. All roads lead to that restoration that Jesus is going to bring in all its fullness. You will be whole. You will be one. Your mourning will turn to gladness and shouts of joy and celebration that may not have even characterized you in this life. It will characterize you. There's going to be no way to not be enthused in God's kingdom. And we're not there yet, but see the signs. Anticipate it. Pull it forward into today. Be clothed in a garment of praise. Receive the oil of joy by the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of us, those who are comforted, those who have experienced healing, well, then be a rebuilder. Then be a constructionist. Then be somebody who's going to give, somebody who's going to participate, somebody who's going to find someone else's broken pieces along with them and help them put them back together in the Lord. Go to somebody who is afflicted and comfort them. Go to a mourner and comfort them. Go to a prisoner Oh, all the politics, this and that. You hear a lot of things on the radio. Do you hear? Just visit them. That's what Jesus told us. He said, when I was in prison, you visited me. They said, when did we do that? When you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Take the politics out of it. What did Jesus tell us to do? Visit them. Feed the hungry. For those of us who've been comforted, let's be those oaks of righteousness and when people inspect they go over the boughs they look in the details of our life they see a reflection of the glory of God let's pray into this together as brothers and sisters would you join me in prayer this morning Jesus I I thank you I praise you because we talked about this. You went from pain and from perfection into pain, excuse me. You, you were willing to suffer for speaking the truth of your Father in heaven. You set us free from sin and the effects of sin, the curse of sin. 
Jesus, you gave us this gift of wholeness that we did not deserve. Grace, mercy is what you gave us. So thank you, Lord, that we have access to a completeness and a satisfaction that this world does not know and cannot know apart from you. So I ask right now, Heavenly Father, for those who are in a place of despair, for those who are in a place where their their heart is shattered, it's in pieces, for those who are afflicted in this life, for those who are grieving and mourning, Lord, would you help them anticipate the wholeness that is theirs in you, Jesus? We pull that forward. All the... All the pains of this life, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say they will evaporate. They will vanish in the blink of an eye. We're not there, but Jesus, bring us beyond our circumstances today by your Holy Spirit. It's not so simple for some people. It's just a choice they make. But God, I'm asking is, as you're leading them, that by your Holy Spirit, almost like you just come behind them and you just put on that robe, you just put on that garment of praise, even though it's, it's not theirs. It is theirs in, in you, Jesus. Just picture you anointing their heads with oil by your Holy Spirit. Maybe they're just in a dark place. Lord, I pray that you would anoint them with joy, the joy of the wholeness of your kingdom, the healing of your kingdom. Lord, I pray also for those of us who are comforted, those of us who've experienced healing, those of us who've felt that restoration, that renewal, Lord, make us those oaks. Plant us for your splendor. Make us these images of strength resistant to decay and death. Lord, release us to be those who glorify you through our lives because we're rebuilding the ruins the things that other people just watched fall into decay we're going to pick up those pieces Lord help us to be the givers help us to be the participants help us to be the servants that everywhere we go everything that we touch would be better more whole because we're bearers of your Holy Spirit bearers of your mission Jesus Send us to the sick. Send us to the afflicted. Send us to the prisoners, Lord. Send us to the hungry. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.